reading is taken from the first book of uh, Jonah, the first chapter of the book of Jonah. It's on page 928 of your Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. (laughs) Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who it is who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to pause before we... um, Come once again in your presence and ask you to speak to us through this passage. For many of us, it's a familiar story. And yet, Lord, it's a story often we think is just for children. And yet, Lord, it isn't. It is, but it's also for adults as well. And Lord, it's got a strong message. And just pray that by your spirit, you speak into our hearts this evening and show us truths from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we've got a picture. We have. Yes, we're thinking about Jonah. So you might want to have your Bibles open. Um, it might be if it's helpful for you um, in Jonah chapter 1. The story of Jonah. Well, it's everybody's favorite, isn't it? Children love it. Adults are fascinated by it. Well, I am anyway. And even people who know very little about the Bible uh, may have heard the tale of Jonah and the whale. We're not going to sing the song, but you know it, don't you? But when I hear the story, I can't help but think of it in 
any other way other than in flannel graph. Thank you, Sarah. For the uninitiated, flannel graph is a teaching method that uses felt cutouts of Bible characters, which are then put onto a felt drop back to tell the story. It was kind of the cutting edge of communication in the 1960s. And I'm hoping you still don't use it, otherwise I've just offended, you know. Sorry? Oh, is it? Okay. That's something different, yeah. And as a child, it always troubled me because um, the cutout Bible characters always seemed to be sort of 10 feet off the ground, kind of floating. They'd never be standing on solid ground. Um, but, but as I, I grew older, I, I did realize that actually um, the characters in the Bible do have their feet very much on the ground. The Bible is very honest um, about their failings as well as their successes. And we see this no more than in the life of Jonah. He was probably the most successful prophet. A whole city turned to God following his preaching. But he's probably, I think, the only prophet who actually ran away when God called him. Thank you, Sarah. So this evening, uh, we're going to think about what Jonah did when God told him to go. Then we're going to explore why he went the opposite direction. And then we're going to see how God responds to Jonah. So first of all, what did Jonah do when God spoke uh, to him? Well, as <laughs> the picture shows, he ran away. The word, let's read verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God spoke to him as he's spoken to numerous other people in the Bible. And when God speaks, it always comes to us personally. God's word came to Jonah, son of Amittai. God knew Jonah's name and he knew his father's name as well. And God calls each one of us by name. He knows our family backgrounds, when, when we were born, where we were born, and every care that we hold. Psalm 139 says this, Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. What's more, God deals with us personally and he has a task for each one of us to do. So what does God ask Jonah to do? Well, he asks him to go, um, as Steph has already said, to the people of Nineveh and tell them that God was aware of all their wickedness. God was asking Jonah to be a partner, to get involved in mission. And isn't that amazing that God calls us to work with him? But what happened? Well, God told Jonah to go, but Jonah said no, and he goes the other way. Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jo Jonah ran away from God. Is it really possible to run away from God? Well, Jonah had a good try. I want us for a few moments to consider Jonah's story and identify the signs that show that a person is running away from God. Thank you, Sarah. 
the first sign we see is that we elevate our personal choice over God's will for us. Jonah's happy to go, but he'd rather go to Tarshish in Spain than Nineveh. So Jonah's first step in running away from God is the beginning of a descent, a descent that takes him away from the Lord. Notice in verse 3 it says, he went down to Joppa. If he was going to Nineveh, he needed to go eastward, but instead he travels to the coast in the opposite direction. God calls him to go, so you could argue he did what God said, but the problem was that he, he chose the destination instead of obeying God's instructions. But aren't we prone to this too? We respond to God's invitation in our lives, but then we humbly request that we choose a destination or we choose how we might serve him. I'll serve you, Lord, but don't ask me to talk about you at work. I'll serve you, Lord, but don't ask me to talk about you in the pub or with my family or the school gate or in, in, the, in the community where I live. I'll stick with just doing what I'm doing here. Thank you very much. The next sign, thank you, Sarah, of running away from God is that so often we justify our own disobedience. Jonah finds a ship going in the opposite direction. Imagine, he, wakes, he makes his way down to the harbour, down to Joppa, a port close to modern-day Tel Aviv. And when he arrives there, guess what? There's a ship. It's about to leave. And you know what? It's got a space for him. And it's going to Tarshish. So he buys himself a ticket. Perfect. It must be the right thing to do. We can be very good, can't we, at convincing ourselves that we're doing the right thing just because things fall into place. But what Jonah was doing was looking for signs to confirm his disobedience. We get into a relationship we know that isn't right. We take a job which means we don't get time with family or church. And we find reasons to say it's right, even when we know it isn't. For Jonah, a ship going to Tarshish looked providential. But actually, he's running away from God. And the final sign is to show that we're running away from God is that we go below deck and disengage. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the second part of verse 5. And it says, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So Jonah takes another downward step. He goes below deck and he falls asleep. Jonah's trying to hide his identity. He's concealing who he is. He's disengaging from those all around him. Above deck, there's a storm blowing, a storm sent by God. But Jonah is out of action. He's below deck. And I know from my own personal experience that when we run away from God, we can become desensitized to the work of his spirit. We can become cynical, dismissive, and isolated. Sometimes it's a gradual process and sometimes it happens quickly, running away from God. What are the signs? Well, like Jonah, we may put our own choices over God's will for us. We may justify our own disobedience, or we may go below deck and disengage with others. You know, this is why I love the story of Jonah, because we can all relate to Jonah. There's a Jonah in every one of us. But if we're trying to run away from God, why are we doing it? Let's look at what some of the reasons might be for Jonah as we watch him running away from God. 
Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. But what do we know about Nineveh? Well, we know that it was an important city in Assyria and that Assyria was a superpower and Israel's enemy. So God was asking this Jewish prophet called Jonah to leave his home and go to a foreign city, a people that his nation feared and despised. And you know, the city of Nineveh still exists today. It's just a few miles outside Mosul in modern-day Iraq. I believe in August this year it was liberated by the Iraqi army after being captured, um, uh, inhabited by IS. And doesn't that put a whole new perspective on this story? Because just imagine if, if, if say, six months ago, um, somebody from the church here um, felt called to go and be a missionary to Nineveh to go and tell the IS commanders and soldiers that God knows about the wicked things they've done in their distorted interpretation of Islam, that God is concerned about their wickedness and wants them to turn to him. How would we react? Well, if if it was you that was being called, how would you react? You You may well say, well, I'll be a missionary, but I'd rather go to the Seychelles. I don't really want to go to Nineveh. I'd like a beach ministry. There's no way I'm going to Iraq. And so, you know, before we become too judgmental with um, Jonah, it was a tough call. But why did he run away? Was he frightened of failure? Or was he frightened of success? Was he afraid of looking foolish, whatever happened? I think it's important for us to explore that because it may, may help us to understand why we often run away from God. One writer suggests that another way of asking if we're running away from God is is to ask, will we love those whom God loves? Will we love those whom God loves? You see, Jonah was running away both from God's will and from God's love. What do I mean? Well, after Jonah was vomited up by the great fish, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, he hears God's call again. In chapter 3, verse 2, he's told again, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And and, and now we see an obedient Jonah. He goes and he preaches as God has asked him to do. And to his surprise and horror, the people of Nineveh repent. The king calls on the people of Nineveh to fast and to seek God. He tells them to give up their evil ways and their violence. The king of Nineveh says in chapter chapter 3, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God does that, exactly that. We read that God had compassion on them, and they turned from their evil ways. How does Jonah react to this? He's not pleased at all. In fact, he has a major sulk. In chapter 4 we read, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, Jonah's resentful. He knows that God's a compassionate God, but surely not to the Ninevites, not to a bunch of pagans, violent foreigners. And you know, sometimes today, We hear um, fellow Christians say things like, we need to look after our own first, or or charity starts at home. What they're really saying is, we can see that God's love extends to people like us, but can God's love really be for refugees, economic migrants, 
and those from other faiths? So why did Jonah run? I think he ran because he didn't believe. He didn't really believe that God's grace extended to these foreigners. Jonah doesn't want God to be a God who forgives such people. Nineveh had been too evil to deserve God's forgiveness. Justice, he felt, demands that it be destroyed. What about us this evening? Are we running away from the call to be good neighbours to those from a different culture than ourselves, a different language, a different ethnicity? Are we running away from a call to reach out to people who, don't, who we don't think deserve God's love? The young people who get drunk and drop litter on our street, those who are on benefits, who struggle to, to get by, the asylum seeker who we worry will change our way of life. But actually, when we grasp what God's grace actually is, we recognize that none of us deserve it. And that makes all of us equal before God. It doesn't belong to any one nation or people or church or class of people. God's grace doesn't, doesn't come to us because of any merit in us. His grace extends to all. Jonah had refused to go and preach God's love and grace because he hadn't understood it himself. But battled and humbled, he eventually learns a lesson that God wants to teach him, that salvation is from the Lord. What about us? Have we grasped what God's love and grace is really about? Finally, we see how God responds. I think if I was God, I would have done things differently. If Jonah was going to run away in the opposite direction, I'd have said, fine, I'll find somebody else. I'll send somebody else. But I'm so glad that God isn't like me. Because I see that in reality, that I'm like Jonah. And God doesn't give up on me, nor will he give up on you. And what we see in this story of Jonah is that you can't run away from God. You will never succeed because we are never beyond the reach of God's love. If you worry that you've run for too, too long or too far from God to be saved, be assured that you have not. God is able to reach you wherever you are. Psalm 139 says, If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there, waiting. So how does God show this in the life of our rebellious prophet Jonah? Let's look in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sh the ship threatened to break up. Jonah's fleeing from the Lord, and God responds by sending a great wind. God sends a storm after his runaway prophet. And the storm is getting Jonah to face up to what he's done. It wasn't just a little bit choppy. It was so fierce that these ocean-hardened sailors were petrified. Look in chapter 1, verse 5. It said, all the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. God has sent the storm for jo Jonah, but clearly other people were going to be impacted by it as well. And God is going to use it to touch their lives as well. We re read in the book of Hebrews that God disciplines those that he loves. 
Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. These verses go on to say that we are to endure hardships as discipline because God is treating us as his children. So God sent that storm because he loved Jonah and had not given up on him. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes we need something that will stir us up, shake us up, wake us up, something that stops us in our tracks, helps us to take stock of our lives and come to our senses. But not only does God send a storm, he also sends a pagan captain of a ship to shake him out of his complacency. Look at what the captain says to Jonah in verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Get up and call on your God, he says. Didn't you used to be on fire for God? Didn't you used to do stuff in church? What happened? The soldiers barrage Jonah with with questions and Jonah eventually discloses who he is. Look in verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And notice how the sailors react to it. They're terrified. The storm on its own would have actually had little effect on the sailors. They were used to that kind of weather. And Jonah's declaration perhaps would have had little effect. But the combination of the storm and God's word to them had great power. And as a result, these these sailors eventually offer sacrifice and make vows to the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The truth is, as we draw to an end, that God doesn't give up on us. His love pursues us. He sends a storm. He sends the most unlikely people. The the last verse of Psalm 23 illustrates this. The familiar words, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I, I don't read Hebrew, but I'm told that this word follow should be translated more forcefully. One writer puts it like this. He says, Surely your goodness and mercy have hunted me, haunted me, dogged all my steps all my days of my life. It's a pursuit full of love but relentless. How does God respond to a runaway prophet? How does God respond to us when we run away? He pursues us relentlessly with his love. And thank God that he does. So in conclusion, I want to end by reading a verse um, from chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is a God of a second chance. We thought it was all over for Jonah. But God has other plans. Yes, it is better if we listen to God the first time. But thank God that the word of God comes to us a second time. And if in the quietness of your own hearts you you can recognize that perhaps, as I have done in the past, you've elevated your own choice over God's will for you. If in some way you're justifying some disobedience in your heart or if you've just gone below deck, Because church life 
is just so difficult at times. If that's you this evening, may you hear the gracious invitation of the compassionate God who calls you and me a second time. Amen. Amen.